Thrill Me. This show is part of the Thrill Me Podcast Network. Experience more on Facebook and YouTube. It's time for the Mr. Wonderful Show. Here's your host, Mr. Wonderful. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mr. Wonderful Show. Lots to get to this week. Going to have a Sonic 2 review for you later on in the program. That, of course, will be a non-spoiler review later in the show. But before we dive into all the things to talk about this week, as I have a list here, uh, movies that don't deserve their popularity, movies that are disturbing yet beautiful, top five character deaths that destroyed us, uh, lots to get into, uh, kind of diverting away from the typical, here's what's going on in Hollywood news of the week. Uh, because listen, if you want to know what's going on, I recommend tuning into the review at Rob show that came out uh, yesterday. It dropped. Uh, he, he covers all of the news of the week. So uh, I feel like after he's handled that this week, I want to get into some of the other things entertainment wise. Uh, but I mentioned the review at Rob's show, uh, so that's a good time to kind of circle back and handle some business at hand, which is, if you haven't done it yet, uh, please, this show, hit subscribe wherever you are listening, rate and review, and share the show as well. The more five stars you give this show, the more it's going to get out there to the masses. But if you go and you listen to the review at Rob's show, uh, you are supporting the Throw Me Podcast Network, which you can support by liking on Facebook, search Throw Me Podcast Network, as well as TikTok, and YouTube is a place to go for all the latest videos. You can see Zach's from Zach Speakeasy and Haunted Podcast, his trailer reaction to Stranger Things 4, that trailer dropped. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit before the Sonic review stuff, kind of what I think is happening there, because I've seen some takes on that that mm, I'm, I'm just... Not that they're crazy takes or anything, but just, uh, you know, throw out my two cents on that. So, yeah, we'll talk about that, but you can see Zach's trailer reaction to that on YouTube. Uh, Metal Monday came out this week as well with Tombstone Josh. There's a new episode of Haunter's Podcast where we play Would You Rather. I mentioned the review at Rob's show covering all of the week's biggest uh, breaking news in Hollywood. Uh, and tomorrow there will be a new episode of Zach Speakeasy out as well. So that's why you want to go like Throw Me Podcast Network. So many shows to pick from. Something for everybody. But before we dive into the entertainment stuff, I wanted to mention this because my show drops on Wednesdays. Uh, the Mr. Wonderful Show. And if you are listening to this today, uh, but really this this goes for every Wednesday moving forward for the next four weeks, uh, you might want to swing into Krispy Kreme because they are now running a promotion that has started today. And it's a new deal where you can get a dozen original glazed donuts for the same price as a gallon of gas. So they're using the national average, which uh, as I look at it right now, it looks like as of today, the national average is $4.83 or $4.08. Yeah, $4.08. So yesterday's average was about $4.11, but it doesn't matter because at $4.11, $4.08, that's how much you pay for a dozen glazed donuts at Krispy Kreme, uh, which if you've gone to Krispy Kreme lately or you haven't been there in a while, 
Uh, it is $8 for traditionally for a dozen glazed donuts. So this is almost half off a great deal. Now, I mentioned it began today on April the 13th. Uh, spooky Wednesday the 13th. Ooh, I've got my Halloween Horror Nights uh, Fra- Frankenstein Bride of Frankenstein shirt on. So, ooh, spooky day. But no, uh, Krispy Kreme is running the deal. It began today on April 13th. It's going to run for the next four weeks. Again, every Wednesday for the next four weeks up until May the 4th be with you. So uh, it's Krispy Kreme's offers beat the pump their little deal. Uh, the only catch is you can't have them delivered, so you have to go pick them up. So sorry if you are somebody that has loved doing delivery and has had Krispy Kreme delivered. You're going to have to go to your local Krispy Kreme. But, you know, whatever. Hit up the drive-thru. You'll see the little fresh light on. You'll be like, oh, man, I know I'm getting a dozen glazed donuts that are fresh and at half the price. So just wanted to put that out there. As you Listen, the Mr. Wonderful Show, we talk about entertainment. We talk about all that stuff, but we also sometimes sneak in the food stuff and the good things that are going on in the world, like Krispy Kreme offering the price of a gallon of gas. You can get a dozen glazed donuts. So yeah, now when you're making your decision in the morning and you're like, I need a gallon of gas to get to work, get the dozen donuts. Your boss will understand when you don't make it, right? Right. All right, let's get into it now. Let's get into the entertainment stuff, the reason why I know you all are here. And I said, uh, taking a little different approach this week, I want to talk about some of these other stories that I came across because um, one of them that I've had for a while now is uh, somebody put together at BuzzFeed a list of the top deaths in movies and TV shows, character deaths, the things that absolutely destroyed us, And right off the top of my head, I can think of uh, the movie Up, you know, the opening sequence of Up when you find out, spoilers for Up, in three, two, when you find out his wife died in the open and they totally tear your heart out, like, that was a moment that destroyed me. Uh, Marley and Me crushed me. That was a moment that I should have known. Uh, it's why I was very hesitant with the Channing Tatum movie Dog for a little bit because I was like, ah, oh, crap, are they going to do it? And then Channing was like, yo, in our movie, the dog doesn't die. I know everybody's curious on that, but you know, we should have known with Marley and me what we were walking into, but it doesn't take away the pain that you feel at the end of that movie when Marley is uh, put down. So I have a list of five, the top five. I should say, character deaths in movies and TV shows. Now, this was a list put together by BuzzFeed. Uh, At number five on the list was Cedric Diggory in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Uh, And yeah, Cedric was a pretty big... I, I did not grow up reading the Harry Potter books. I just was the person that watched the movies instead of reading the books. One of my best friends growing up, he loved the books read every one of the books I might have called early on through watching the movies before the books even started diving into that uh, Hermione and Ron relationship that I called it just through seeing the first two films I was like yeah those two gonna end up hooking up and my friend thought I was crazy on that but by the time the final book came out I had predicted that relationship I called, I said, in this final book, you're probably going to have 
they're going to bring back characters and kill them. And I just happened to throw out, like, he could confirm it. I just happened to say Dobie as well. I was like, yeah, like a Dobie or something like that. They'll, they'll, they'll kill that character. Uh, may, maybe they'll kill off, uh, you know, some of the Weasley kids as well. So I was just throwing some stuff out there. But here's the thing. Even if you had just watched the movies, you could t- you could see the setups were there through the movies, the things. And, in, you know, I heard that they were very good adaptations of the books. Yes, things were missing. Yes, I know some of the book lovers, lovers uh, like anything that gets adapted by a book, because one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit later on, I'll explain um, my feelings book to film on on my take on that. But, you know, there's never a, a perfect adaptation. Something's always wrong. But from what I've been told in the past the harry potter films did a good job at that so i was able to predict a lot of it i even predicted the harry would die in the end but didn't should have known dealing with wizardry and stuff uh oh yeah and i and i predicted the dumbledore thing but i also said snake snape was going to be a good guy uh and he was not convinced of that in the book that he was in but i was like no i guarantee you that that he's actually a good guy and there's more going on to him Uh, just because I also didn't want to believe that the great Alan Rickman was playing another villain. I wanted to believe he was playing a good guy. Uh, So that one was just a total accident, but I ended up being correct on that. Uh, But Cedric came in at number five. Number four, I mentioned it already because it's one of the first ones that comes to mind. They put Ellie from Up at number four. Can't complain with that. That's a top five moment for sure. Uh, I gave my reasoning for that in a second. Uh, The other Harry Potter moment that makes the list comes in at number three and that is Fred Weasley another one that I kind of predicted although I thought they just off both the brothers but yeah that that sequence in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows uh, that that messed with me pretty good that got me really well Uh, I I do also want to say I am a very well-known crier when I watch things I'm like Kevin Smith I've I posted the picture of me losing my mind while watching Onward. Uh, you know, I, I just that was a movie that got me. So uh, it, it's easy to get me. It is easy to get me. But but these, I think, are the ones that we can all agree on that. Even if you're one of those like, I don't really get got. I don't cry. I don't get choked up during deaths that you can admit these are sad moments. These are. Even if you didn't even shed the slightest of tears, uh, they're sad moments. Here's here's one that, you know, for instance, one that, uh, to, to give an example of I've been a crier for a while, back when we watched West Side Story in middle school in our music class, I cried at the end of that because I, it's a tragic love story. I know it's Romeo and Juliet, but cried at the end of that. I even did it again when I watched the Spielberg one. So, you know, it's... Because spoilers, at the end of the Spielberg one, it's the same movie. Just slightly done, slightly differently. But it's still Romeo and Juliet. Uh, But Romeo and Juliet I don't cry at the end of. Shockingly enough. I I never cried at the end of that one. Uh, Even when Leo died at the end of that one, I I didn't cry. Uh, And Claire Danes and all that good stuff. But Fred Weasley comes in at number three, which now takes us to the number two moment and remember this is for tv shows and movies but at number two was the walking dead glenn and i will admit that yeah that was a pretty big moment i didn't think that moment was going to get me when watching the show 
because I was the big, you know, oh man, Glenn's got to survive till we get to Negan because he needs to get his head bashed in. And I, you know, the show did the little swerve stuff. Uh, I don't care if I spoil this. Listen, they're in their final freaking season coming up on the final group of episodes. Uh, you know, just wrapped up part two of three mid-season finale, the last ever mid-season finale for the Walking Dead main show before they head into the final episode. So I'm not, you know, I don't care if I spoil it for you. If you haven't been watching at this point, then that's on you because when Glenn was killed, when that moment came, that was when The Walking Dead was still at its peak. It was beating Sunday Night Football, doing doing things that no other show was capable of doing by by actually going head-to-head with the NFL in ratings and beating the NFL in ratings. Like, the NFL could could put on the Jacksonville Jaguars versus, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of another really bad team at the time that The Walking Dead was in its height. I wanted to say the Houston Texans. Sorry, Rob, but at that point in time, they were still a really good team. But Jacksonville's always sucked. Hey, you know what? I'll use the Jets. The Jets have sucked over the entire course of The Walking Dead being on the air. So could have been Jacksonville and the Jets. They would still win a Sunday night matchup against anything until The Walking Dead came along and hit its peak. Now, others will argue the night that Glenn died was the night. If people weren't already off on the show, had already said the show jumped the shark, uh, that was the night that people were like, I'm out. I know a lot of people that were like, that was where the violence and the line of violence went too far to where I was like, that's the freaking point. You are not supposed to like this character. So we won up where we were. I mean, you were totally cool with the fact that they were like going to have like a whole rape of Carl thing before Rick bit some dude's throat out. But, oh no, Negan used the baseball bat. Uh, That's where we draw a line. What they were going to do to Carl like four episodes before that was freaking crazy. Uh, So, Walking Dead with Glenn. But yeah, that night, I I do remember that night because I remember the Abraham moment. Uh, took me a little by surprise. And then when they did the Glenn thing, I went, oh, F yeah, they did it. Oh, and now the waterworks, now the emotion, now the feeling of, holy crap, uh, that really got me. That really got me. Now, before we get to the number one moment on their list, uh, some of the honorees just outside the top five, uh, and some of these might be spoilers. uh, So I apologize to that. Uh, but we've got Michael Clark Duncan in the Green Mile. That was a moment that got everybody. Um, Sons of Anarchy, Opie, getting that moment uh, on the show. Uh, Rue in the Hunger Games. Yeah, the Rue moment in the Hunger Games was a pretty holy... Okay, this book is a little... uh, This book slash movie is a little intense. Gotcha. Uh, Some of the ones, though, uh, that did not make the list... Again, before we get to number one, and number one might be a spoiler. It's a movie from only two years ago, three years ago. So it might be a spoiler. It was one of my favorite movies of the year when it came out. Uh, But before we get to that, I do want to mention Mufasa in The Lion King. That was left out of the top ten. Circling back to Harry Potter, Snape, Professor Snape, I feel like deserves a mention. That was a moment that... Man, that that moment, no matter how badly you hated him for everything prior to that, 
when you realize how much he he really loved Harry's mom, how much he he really loved Harry as well for the fact that he saw her. That was so freaking crushing. Uh, And then uh, I want to mention the horse in The NeverEnding Story, a moment that absolutely destroyed an entire generation of kids. Uh, So with that being said, the number one character death in a movie or TV show that destroyed us, this is a BuzzFeed article. And hold on, I want to get some music for this one. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Jojo Rabbit... Scarlett Johansson, her character Rosie, which, holy crap, I still remember seeing that movie, and I remember just the panic that came over me, the reaction that I had. It was so well done. It was such a well done moment that when that reveal happens, and little Jojo reacts I I could not keep myself together at that point and mind you when I saw Jojo Rabbit I was getting looks from all the people in the theater because I was laughing my ass off at that movie I thought that movie was hysterical I understood the satire of the film the audience I was with did not understand the satire of that movie at all they thought it was like some serious thing and they thought I was absolutely crazy when I was laughing at the fact that they're like where are your horns? You're a Jew. Where are your Jew horns? And I'm laughing at that. I'm finding it hysterical. And people are like, you're a sick man. And I'm like, I'm, my dad's a Jew. I, like, I, I had people say this crap to me. This is funny because of how stupid it is and how stupid people were. Still are. But yeah, when that reveal came, uh, it, it's a moment that's actually really etched in my mind because of how, I don't want to call it beautiful, because it wasn't supposed to be a beautiful moment, but the way that Taika Waititi did that shot and unfolded that scene was such a pure joy from from little Jojo Rabbit into the realization that what his nationalism means, what really happened, like just, oh my God, the unfolding of that was where... I didn't have a dry eye for a while after that. So yeah, that moment crushed me. Now, I did know it was like, just through seeing enough movies, I felt that it was coming. I noted throughout the course of the film, the focus of the feet with Scarlett Johansson so much that I was like, that's going to matter at some point. So sure enough, when you get that slow kind of move to never actually seeing it fully, but just seeing the feet, and that hanging moment, uh, that was one of those like, holy crap, like, oh, my, I haven't seen my mom. Where's my mom? And then little Jojo running around in the town, being a kid, and then you see the feet hanging there right behind him before he turns and sees it. And oh my God, that moment, yeah. Jojo Rabbit, great film, but that moment was holy crap type of moment for sure. Uh, now... Moving on, we're just going to get into um, another list that I came across uh, that was put together. Uh, There was a writer, uh, CBR.com is where this writer was from, and they put together a list of popular movies that they feel do not deserve to be as popular as they are. Uh, 
So, running through their list, um, and, and here's the thing: it's not it's not sucky movies. It's not like oh man, why is this Adam Sandler movie? No, no, no. The, these are prestigious films. These are films that some of these films won Academy Awards. Some of them are regarded as some of the highest, uh, you know, game changers in the genre. Things like that. Uh, for instance, at number ten on this writer's list, the Blair Witch Project, and they say it's iconic but not scary. I agree with that. I think the Blair Witch Project has uh, is just gets so much prestige and so much love, but it's a film that I I never have sat down still to this day and watched from beginning to end in one sitting. So like the first ten minutes stopped. Came back in, watched like another portion, stopped. I've seen the ending of it. Great. Iconic, yes, because it opened the door to like like what Kevin Smith did in the 90s with Clerks and Quentin Tarantino and all and Robert Rodriguez and all those directors coming up through Merrimax at the time uh, and, and making a name for themselves at Sundance and, and Cannes and all that good stuff. It opened the door to you can just take your camera, go out into the woods, run around and make the highest grossing scary movie. Okay, cool. Doesn't mean it was really scary. I never found anything about the Blair Witch Project scary. Now, the Blair Witch Project 2, I thought was scarier than the first one. That's a horror movie or a horror take, a horror opinion that can get you canceled these days, but I've never understood the appeal of the Blair Witch Project the way others have absolutely loved it. Uh, Another one on this list, Rebel Without a Cause came in at number nine. They say it feels superficial. I can agree with this one getting on the list because when you think about it, really I think the big reason why Rebel Without a Cause gets a lot of love and a lot of talk about is, you know, James Dean died at a young age. Natalie Wood died at a young age. Uh, and, And one of the other actors in the film, one of the other young actors died at a young age. So it has three leads in it that all died young that, really helps, uh, I I hate using the word helps, but it it does help that myth of the film, kind of like Cursed Films. Uh, If you have never seen the Cursed Films show that's on Shudder, where they talk about, you know, just as as its title says, Cursed Films, but they always talk about a lot of how these curses and things like that comes from the mythos of it. Uh, and the legacy that goes on. So for Rebel Without a Cause, yeah, that legacy, that that enduring legacy of three young actors all cut down at a young age, uh, you know, it, as they are hitting their prime, before their prime, right? You know, we know the talent that was there. So that's a film that I do, I, I could agree with being on this list. But a lot of these I also don't really agree with. Um, another one on the list that I do kind of agree with V for Vendetta. It created a famous symbol, not a famous movie. And I, I listen, I know my my agreeing with V for Vendetta might be a hot take to some, but that was a movie that when I started uh before before I started dating my now fiance, I had never seen. She couldn't believe that she that there was a movie out there because we were trying to do one of those like, tell me the movies that you like. And I'll tell you whether I've seen them. And she kept running through them. And it was like, seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it. V for Vendetta. Never seen it. I know it's supposedly a really good movie, but I've never seen it. One day, she was like, we're watching it. Cool. You make the movie pick. Let's do this, girl. 
We watched it, and it's all right. It's not a bad movie, but I felt it was a little long. I felt it was a little, you know, at times I was like, all right, you know, if we had shaved some of this and, and cut some of this, maybe we could get the movie down to about an hour 45, maybe even an hour 40. Uh, it just, you know, so it felt a little long for me. But I get the whole love of that film. I get why it captivated a certain generation as well. But yeah, it's, it's, I think it's overhyped for what it is. So I think, I think a lot of people have put a lot more behind it uh, than the movie really has going for it. Uh, another one on the list that I agree, that I agree should be on this list is The Dark Knight Rises for a lot of that same reason. I think people have put the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy on such a pedestal but it's all based on The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, that that film deserves to be on a pedestal. Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises does not, but there are people out there that are like, no, The Dark Knight Rises is the perfect conclusion. It's the chef's kiss to the trilogy. It's the this and that. And I've recently rewatched The Dark Knight Rises. It's not a bad movie, but Batman 89 is better. Batman Forever is better. The Batman with Robert Pattinson, much better than The Dark Knight Rises. Like it's it's not a bad movie, but but it, but again, it's it gets a lot of love and a lot of prestige, and I think it just deals with um, a little bit of that Zack Snyderness as well. In that the Nolan fan base is so rabid that to them there there are only three Batman movies, and and they're all perfect. Where The Dark Knight Rises is good. But it's also, you know, it doesn't deserve as much love as, in my opinion, as as people tend to give it. Uh, now, one that's on this list that I understand why they put it there, but I still think it's a good movie. So I'm a little uh, like I, I get I get the writer's logic, the blind side. Their logic is it suffers from the white savior complex. Totally true. 100 percent get that. But I enjoy this movie a lot because this movie is similar to that of when I did my review for King Richard. It's a good movie, but the main purpose of this film is to get, insert star, Academy Award. That's what that film felt like. It was, we need to get Sandra Bullock an Academy Award. That's what that film is. So it's a good movie, but again, and I, they're 100% correct. Because it's a film that's all about getting Sandy Bullock her Academy Award. Just like King Richard, I said it, Will Smith's performance is very is a little more cookie cutter compared to some of the other ones. You know, I think he gave a stronger performance in Pursuit of Happiness, uh, Seven Pounds, you know, even, even the Men in Black films, even the third Men in Black film, I thought the performance was a lot stronger than the one that got him the Academy Award, where The Blind Side was the one where, where Sandra Bullock really put everything into it. So wasn't surprised by that. But I agree with why it's on this list, but it is a movie that I still like. Uh, La La Land was put on this list, and I do not agree for any reason behind it. Like, I can't even understand the justification of this. They go on to say it's not the modern musical it wanted to be. So they're claiming the film is not what the film is not as prestigious as the film thinks it is i call bs on that la la land is absolutely the film it intends to be is absolutely the modern musical it intends to be and is such a fabulous movie i was surprised 
uh, when they there was the Mitch the the mix up, the Mitch up. What's a Mitch up? The mix up at the Academy Awards, uh, because there was no there there really like hearing La La Land Best Picture wasn't one of those like, oh really that one okay, and then we find out it wasn't really that one, but it wasn't surprising when we heard that name at first because we were like yeah La La Land is a really good movie, uh it obviously did not win the Academy Award that year, and that's not a bad thing. That doesn't make a movie great or make a movie bad if it's not nominated and if it doesn't win. You know, I I know I get joked all the time that I tend to lean into a lot of Oscar-nominated films, love a lot of those films, like The Power of the Dog and stuff like that, but La La Land is a movie that I have very much enjoyed rewatching. still love rewatching it. It is old Hollywood. It is new Hollywood. It is everything coming together. It is a really good movie, La La Land, so I do not agree with it being on this list of, uh, t- of films that don't deserve their popularity and prestige. Now, the top two on her list at number two was Inception, and she says it's more pretentious than ambitious. That is BS. The film is absolutely ambitious and not pretentious, but it goes to what I was just saying with Nolan fans the Nolan fans or the or the moviegoer that's like Inception is my favorite film or is the best movie ever. That's where the pretentiousness comes from because it is not the best Nolan film. Uh, I would say The Dark Knight Rises is better than Inception, and you just heard my thoughts on The Dark Knight Rises. But Inception is a good movie. It's it's a fine movie, but it's totally an ambitious film, which is why it deserves the prestige it's got and its popularity because of what Nolan tried in that film and what he did in that film and the idea of, you know, incepting dreams and going into a dream world and layer upon layer upon layer. And I still love the South Park joke with it where Freddy Krueger ends up getting involved and all that good stuff because they're going deeper and deeper into the dreams and all that stuff. So if you've never seen the Inception South Park episode, it's worth a watch. You'll really laugh your ass off. And again, Freddy Krueger makes an appearance as well in that one. Uh, But number one, on her list of movies that don't deserve their popularity, Avatar. Stunning visuals, but not much else. And I'll agree with that. Avatar is just the same movie we've seen many times over. Uh, there's nothing really new about it. It's I, I've, I said it when it came out. It's Dances with Wolves with Kevin Costner. That's what the film is. It, it's just the blue we, we have sex with our tails... Dances with Wolves. That's all it is. But the visuals are stunning. That's why everybody ran out to see it. It wasn't People weren't running out to see that movie because of its plot and because of its story. They were running out to see it because of what it visually accomplished with the 3D, the Avatar folk. Like it, it's, it's stunning in that sense. The fact that we are getting a sequel all these years later, I mean, I guess... The fact that Disney is planning like a whole Avatar everything, I guess. Not exactly the thing that when I, after the first time, went, oh yeah, that's that's totally going to be a franchise. But here we are. We're at a point where it is. So Avatar ended up on the list. I do agree with that. Uh, I'm curious though, what are some popular movies that you don't like uh, or you think don't deserve the prestige they get? Uh, I did see somebody throw out, you know, a while back, Terminator 2. uh, And they said the original is just 
a gritty sci-fi thriller, and the sequel is nothing more than a big dumb action flick about a boy and his robot. Get it. I totally get it. And and you know, I'm not gonna hate anybody for their for for their opinions on this and their takes. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to dunk on the writer of this story, but I thought it brought up an interesting conversation of popular films out there that you just don't get down with because yeah, the Blair Witch Project, I have not gotten down with the Blair Witch Project since the beginning. V for Vendetta, you know, a lot of people's favorite movie, but at the end of the day, I was like, all right, it's 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 good. It's great. It, you know, yeah, all right. La La Land, though, I love that movie. I think that movie is definitely a modern musical, a modern musical that it wanted to be in my eyes. Uh, but the movie that I said that I teased earlier that I would bring up, the one that instantly jumps off the brain for me uh, and out of the film vault that is my head at times, uh, the movie that has so much popularity that I just cannot get behind is The Shining. I have a long history of discussing this. I think The Shining as a movie is long, is boring, is, as Stephen King put it, a beautiful Corvette that is fully missing its engine because Stanley Kubrick, in my opinion, did not understand the source material. And through everything that I've read about the making of that movie... I, I, I really stand behind that, that he did not understand the source material that he had because it was constantly a difference of opinion from Stephen King. And, you know, it was the way Kubrick imagined it, but Kubrick didn't believe in heaven and hell and stuff like that. So when you read the book, which is something I did before I ever saw the movie, I read the book, the book is fire. The book is hell. That That... The Overlook is a representation of hell. There's a lot in that book that gets left out, a lot of changes that come to the movie. And yeah, we've there you know there was the the direct adaptation of the book that is not that good of a movie. I think they did that for Sci-Fi Network or whatever. And you know, there's the adaptation that Kubrick had that people consider a, a classic, a masterpiece, one of the scariest films of all time. And to me, it's just good Jack Nicholson performance, everything we now know about Shelley Duvall's performance. I, I don't know how the hell she managed to make it through that film without having a nervous breakdown in, like, on film, but she did and gives a hell of a performance. But that's about it. That's really about it. That's, that's all I can find enjoyment out of with The Shining. I do not think it's a horror movie classic. I do not think it's any type of this needs to be held up for this reason or that reason, and people absolutely love it. I think Universal Studios' Halloween Horror Nights did a better haunted house than the movie. I I, I, I really do. And, you know, I know somebody's going to come at me and be like, that's one of my favorite films, and that's great. I hope, I'm happy you love it. I'm happy people get enjoyment out of it. I get enjoyment out of Adam Sandler movies still. A lot of people don't. Hence why he went to Netflix. And yeah, I could sit here and have the conversation as well about how actually that's not why he was still very box office successful. Uh, the Grown Ups movies, there's a reason there was a second one and there's a reason why there was a, there could have been a third one. Uh, they made a lot of money before he jumped to Netflix because he was still a draw. People like me would go see it. I mean, I remember when Grown Ups came out. Everybody went, went to go see Grown Ups and nobody went to see Pacific Rim. Yeah, both have gotten sequels. 
but one underperformed the first time and then really underperformed the second time, and the others made money, made a profit for the studio. So I'm not one to tell people what to like or what not to like. It's it's what you like, but for me, a movie that I know has a lot of prestige that I don't like is The Shining. So curious what yours are. Uh, please feel free to hit me up on Twitter. Again, let's have a civil conversation about this. We don't need to be screaming at each other for our movie takes. There's no reason for that in the world. There are a lot of other things going on. Movie takes are not the thing that needs to cause people to lose their mind. But uh, but for me, a movie with a lot of prestige that I just can't get behind is The Shining. All right. So before we get on out of here, I know I'm starting to run out of time. This episode's going a little longer than I thought it would. Uh, want to get into quick thoughts, Stranger Things. Uh, they dropped their first trailer for the new season, uh, Stranger Things 4, coming this May. At least part one is coming this May. Part two will come sometime uh, in July. But the first trailer officially dropped. Journey was used for the uh, music for the trailer, an awesome uh, rendition of Separate Worlds, uh, Worlds Apart, all that good stuff. But man, oh man, does it look like this new season is really leaning into the scary aspect of the show, which I think makes perfect sense because the audience that fell in love with this show is now getting older. The kids on the show are now getting older. So we are no longer in the Amblin, it's E.T. And kind of that in the middle of like, well, it's it's... It's kind of like Poltergeist, but we're not trying to truly scar you like Poltergeist did. Now it looks like they're very much leaning into a little more of the PG-13 aspect of things. Uh, the scarier portions of Poltergeist. The scarier portions of 80s horror. And I'm really into this this trailer. I'm very excited for this new season. I had goose pimples the entire time. I had some tears in my eyes as well from watching the trailer. Uh, There's some really cool setups, some things, some characters that I'm a little nervous for now. Steve, I'm very nervous for Steve with one of the shots from the trailer. Uh, But there are some takes that I saw online that that were a little like, man, fandom can get weird sometimes. Uh, And then some of the other ones that were like, oh, Robert England's character is going to be the villain. And I don't think Robert England is the villain in this. I I think the villain is not being portrayed by him, but Robert England's character, I'm really excited to figure out about the Duffer brothers have teased that his character has a pivotal role for the upcoming season. So I'm curious, uh, as, as is the intention of a, of a trailer and a teaser and all that stuff to pique your curiosity. But yeah, they did a good job with that. So, uh, I'm very much looking forward to the upcoming Stranger Things Season 4. Now, before we wrap things up, let's talk about Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which is currently out in theaters, was the number one movie at the box office this past weekend. Uh, The highest grossing video game adaptation film, uh, highest grossing opening for a video game adaptation, uh, surpassing its own feat that it set prior to the pandemic in February of 2020 when Sonic first came out. Uh, had a huge opening. This time around, another huge opening. So Sonic getting the job done. And understandably why, because that Blue Hedgehog and this new film is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the first Sonic movie. I gave it a glowing review. 
uh, on my uh, radio station's website when I was writing reviews for them at the time. Uh, and, I, and I gave it a very glowing review. I gave it a four out of five. And that's what I do this time around with Sonic 2. I give it a four out of five. It is as fun as the original film. It, in my opinion, does continue a good story for Sonic. Uh, you know, now he has settled in to his new life. But things get turned upside down. Robotnik returns. He's got Knuckles with him this time. So there's a lot of fun going on in this film. There's a lot. I can't believe I'm going to say this. There's a lot of growth for the Sonic character this time around. And that's a big theme of the movie as well is that Sonic needs to grow up. Sonic is still just a kid. At the end of the day, he's still very young. He needs to be a little more grown up. So the film tackles that, uh, as well as introducing us to his sidekick Knuckles, as or, or I'm, I'm sorry, his sidekick Tails. Uh, Knuckles is there as well. Uh, Jim Carrey is back as Robotnik, and he is continuing to just do his thing. He's the Jim Carrey of old, the one that we all fell in love with, uh, you know, us as kids from In Living Color and uh, Once Bitten, and then eventually going off to do The Mask. Uh, the Ace Ventura films, Liar, Liar, so on, before he made his dramatic turn with The Truman Show, Man in the Moon, all that. Uh, but, but it never really circled back around to those early day things. I have the like the impression I get from Jim Carrey in these two Sonic films is, this is Ace Ventura. This is The Mask. This is that style of Jim Carrey, that rubber face, that, that animatedness to him that makes him more of a cartoon character. And I know that that some people do not enjoy that. My mom specifically has never really enjoyed that aspect of him. Uh, she likes the more nuanced Jim Carrey stuff. Uh, she's laughed at the at the rubber man thing, but some to some people it gets a little too animated. Uh, but he is definitely doing the animated Jim Carrey thing. If this is his last movie, it's one hell of a way to go out. Because to me, it's going to introduce a, a new generation to that style of gym that we used to go see on the big screen because you wanted to see that animatedness of him. You wanted to see that on the big screen. So he really delivers a strong performance for me in this film. Uh, James Marsden actually pulled back. A, it felt like his character was a little more pulled back this time around. Uh, they focused more in on Sonic and Tails. Uh, as opposed to having, you know, this film about two people taking a cross-country road trip when he's got the fastest hedgehog ever by his side and they're riding in a car. So there wasn't really a lot of James Marsden in the in the way of the first film, but he is very involved. He is still there. He is still a big supporting character. But But I did feel like he got put to the back burner for a lot of the film before they brought him back up front. Uh, and that's not really a big knock on the film. I'm just a huge James Marsden guy. Uh, a national treasure, an underappreciated national treasure, James Marsden. So, uh, I, I, but he gives a strong performance. It's just, again, all around really fun. Uh, there is one, there was one entire sequence. There, there's, all right, there's a needle drop of Pantera in this movie that totally blew my mind. I was not expecting that in a Sonic movie. Uh, but there were some subtle jokes in there. There's a moment where it's like, oh, I read about it in this manual. And when they hold up the manual, it's a literal Sega the Genesis style manual from that you used to get 
in the old cartridge box back in the day. That was just such a small little sight gag that had me as, as an old Sega player and an old Sonic the Hedgehog player as well just laughed my ass off at that. Uh, there's another moment where there's a, a quick little glimpse of what Jim Carrey as uh, Big Fat Robotnik would look like. That made me laugh really hard at that because I was like, oh crap, there it is. There's there's the Big Robotnik. That's awesome. Uh, there's another moment in this movie though a wedding sequence that goes down and I just don't know what it is with the, with the movie screenings that we've been at of late, me and the the fiance and I, because we were absolutely dying from laughter with some of the things that were going on from right from the wedding sequence on. And nobody else was laughing. And it was like, with this whole like five minute sequence right here might be one of the funniest things that you all have seen this week. And you're not laughing. Like, there's no way you've seen funnier things than this right now. There's no way. Like, this is hysterical. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you haven't, you know that there's a wedding from the trailer. Uh, or from multiple trailers that they've shown that there's a wedding sequence. But yeah, there's something that happens after all of that, very shortly after that, that is just so damn funny. Uh, and that's the thing. This movie had me really laughing out loud, just like the first film did. Uh, so yeah, this is a this is a this is definitely a must see film for me. Uh, I, I hope that you have seen it. I hope that you go out and see it. If you were on the fence, if you were like, I like that first film, but I'm not sure because this is a sequel. No. Have no fear. This movie lives up to what the first film set and does some character growth for Sonic and for everybody else involved as well, which is so weird to say for, for a video game adaptation film. But it's super fun. Uh, four out of five. The, you know, definitely a film worth seeing. So thank you all so much for hanging out with Mr. Wonderful Show. Remember, like Throw Me Podcast Network on Facebook, on YouTube, Follow us on TikTok. Uh, great videos from Tombstone Josh uh, up on the YouTube. Great stuff from uh, Zach from Zach Speakeasy. New episode will be out tomorrow with him. Review at Rob Show is out right now as well. So if you're looking for a deeper dive into some of the news from this past week, he's got you covered. Uh, and again, there is a Metal Monday out as well as a brand new Haunters podcast. Until next week, have a great one. Peace and love. <laughs>